Welcome to the podcast, Career Stories from the Field. I am Penny Strutton, a business psychologist and career coach, and for the last 10 years, I've worked with hundreds of people and helped them find a job or career that fulfills them. Very rarely do we see a straightforward career pathway. This podcast will showcase a variety of careers and highlight the career pathways people have taken to achieve their current position. It is the interesting routes, choices, opportunities and challenges that I will be exploring to showcase how different people have navigated their career. I'm hoping to help young people and career changers join the dots between subjects at school, tertiary education and job experience and give more people confidence to embrace opportunities that take them closer to a fulfilling career. This week, I'm talking to Michael Moss. Michael is the head of technology operations at a scientific informatics software company. He started his career with a degree in civil engineering, then moved into a corporate focusing on quality assurance before moving to Berlin, then Hong Kong, to further his career and life experience. For the last six years, Michael has worked in project management and operations, and now holds the senior position in a fast-growing company. So welcome, Michael Moss, to the first episode of 2022 of the Career Stories from the Field podcast. Hello, Penny. Thank you. Okay, so let's get started. Just give us an overview of what your job title is and what you do every day. Okay, so um, I'm the Head of Technology Operations at Dotmatics. Um, Dotmatics is a uh, software provider for uh, scientific research and development, um, taking uh, scientists on a journey built by scientists for scientists. So uh, within our within our teams, we've got a huge number of masters and PhD qualified scientists helping develop the software consumed by lots of businesses across the world. I don't have a standard day, which is one of the things I really like about my job. Every, every day is slightly different. Um, I have a, obviously I have a core set of responsibilities that I go forward with. But the main remit, I guess, is to look at the delivery assurance. So how we deliver across our software engineering teams to make sure that we have some sort of a guidance and framework to do that. The second part is to look at how we are actually performing against that. So what are we forecasting? What are we executing against? And what data we have around that to be able to analyze that delivery process and then to use that data to further drive for improvements, efficiencies and gains. And the final part is to really provide metrics outwards to uh, the wider internal or external stakeholders who so desire and so that they can get an understanding of how that development process is going and how the software delivery is going. So when things aren't going so well, what are we trying to do to improve them? And when things are going okay, that we can continue to prove that they are as we report they are. So, so that's really interesting. So you have the overview of the operational delivery of all of the software solutions that Dogmatics creates. Correct. How many of those solutions are you working with at any one time? Specifically focused on, not, not that many. Um, I have got a small team now. Um, as I'm, I've only been at Dogmatics a, a few months, so seven or eight months. So we've got a small team and they will take up responsibility to focus on each, each team, build up that. I guess there's an element of firefighting, which is why no two days are the same, because it's looking at what the different shift in priority is trying to make sure that that shifting priority is balanced and that it's not causing too much turbulence across other areas for delivery too. So there are certain times when I get right in, sucked into the action, and there's other times when I'm trying to make sure that the other teams have got the right level of support to keep going and operating. 
And as I build the team out more, they will have the pure focus to make sure that it's governed and controlled fully, uh, whether that's through calm waters or whether that's through um, sodium science. Okay, so you have got smaller teams of specialist scientists and technical experts working on the different products, and you're there really to make sure that everything is going to plan, is being delivered to spec, and troubleshooting along the way. Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. If we were to follow you around for a day, what sort of things would we actually be seeing you do? I mean, just just take us through some of those different uh, activities you'd be doing in a day. Okay, um, so I think stakeholder management's relatively high on that list. So uh, engaging with different teams or people or stakeholders that need to know about the particular issue that's arising. I'm currently also looking after a specific client delivery that's a bit complex, talking to the customer, keeping them up to date, uh, making sure that things are smooth there, talking to the development team in that respect. There's the time away from speaking to people, which is some people might know that I'm not a particular fan of email, but uh, I'll check through the emails and try and get them sorted um, and make sure the calendar's kind of up to date. And then operationally keeping on top of the data that we, that we have or working through challenges around data and what that could present or what that could do to help people around the business understand what's going on. Okay, thank you. I think that gives a great overview. So you talk about that you really enjoy the fact that no two days are the same. What else do you particularly enjoy about your job? People management. So I started people managing about 11 years ago. It was odd. Actually, that promotion in itself was odd because I was the most junior person on the team and got everyone, I think, maybe three out of five went for for the role of, of manager. And I took it. The challenge, I guess, presented itself that I then had to talk to these people that were unsuccessful in the application for the role that I was now fulfilling, being younger by quite a few years for some and uh, more junior. And being more junior, I had to really jump in two-footed. I didn't want to be too overbearing either. And actually, the thing that I enjoyed in the first few weeks of that was having quite open and honest conversations where I felt like I could really help people understand, okay, well, you didn't get the role. What can we do? I I can't change that. You can't change that. What do you want to do? And it was that personal development that I really, really enjoyed and and really embraced. That's a part of it I really enjoy is working with people, seeing people do well. So I've not always line managed in the last 11 years, but I've always had some form of, I guess, coaching along the way. So what else do you really enjoy? Um, I like looking at the data that's in flight. So how how are teams operating at the moment and historically as well to see if the trending information is showing up anything. Uh, and trying to address that and building the response to that. So, again, trying to understand the priority and, and how severe something is, is is quite interesting. So there was a recent issue that was identified. I was like, oh, that's a small little issue for my project, for this customer. Dug a little bit deeper and I was like, oh, this is something that probably needs to be addressed and dug a little bit deeper. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go and speak to several people probably in the next 24 hours about this because this can't continue. Um, and, and then building that and getting the momentum of people engaged on that and being able to help discover that actually that's incredible right this is this is showing that we have this thing that we didn't know about um, and that we now need to go away and resolve it and, and make sure that we continue continue to involve that and seeing that then progress and not necessarily always becoming a BAU process but the processes are built so that it becomes flattened and that other things change elsewhere because the emergency response isn't the same as the BAU response so seeing that evolve well, quite enjoying I guess I get sort of really into and maybe put too much time into it at times probably and get lost in data. Okay, so what I can hear is that you really do love 
uh, developing people and working with people and you also really enjoy interrogating data and identifying solutions to, to problems that might be emerging. Are there any other key skills that you need to do your job effectively? I guess there's project management 101, so delivery overall, delivery assurance. Project management is, is more of an art than a science and trying to work out the dependencies and how the dependencies line up, uh, trying to find clever solutions to get deliveries earlier and, and also trying to work out actually is it worth fighting to get that early delivery or not, maybe being more pragmatic and saying actually we want to get this to be a quality delivery, we need a quality solution, shall we take our time? Can we do anything uh, creative with getting different people or different teams into maybe help um, focus on that to also help pull in the timelines, but not necessarily fully focus on it um, and being able to get the people engaged on that and building the team around that. So I guess when I'm in my complete element, it's using data to drive projects forward with a good team around you um, that can learn from the data and processes to make improvements to delivery overall. That's really interesting. So You've talked about being the, the head of technical operations, overseeing the, the, the development of, of soft, software being developed by scientists. I gather from what you're saying around your project management skills that you're not necessarily a technical expert yourself in this area. No, I've, I've done, I've dabbled with coding, but uh, I'm, I'm able to follow some basic instructions. I've developed a, an Android, a very basic Android app ages ago, but Fundamentally, I qualified as a civil engineer, and um, so I knew more about concrete than I did code um, at a certain point in time. And I, yeah, it was civil engineering uh, with a focus around financial and project management, I guess. Um, so the course itself uh, was called FATMIT, so Financial and Project Management Instruction. Um, Sorry, what was the acronym? FATMIC. So Financial and Project Management in Construction. You had the different cohorts of you have the railways, you have the civils, you have the, within the sort of uh, engineering faculty, we were a smaller cohort, I guess, but um, that, that started the project management piece, but fundamentally you had a strong civils background. So I learned about earthworks, as I say, concrete, concrete pools, form work and all the rest of it. Um, for one of my coursework pieces, I solved it with software um, and the lecturer was a bit baffled why I'd done that, but I showed him that it was a more you know, regimented way of proving that the manual calculations, yeah, I could do. And I did a sheet of it and I was like, but if I do it like this, it's going to solve this volumetric problem of, I don't know, something like 2.3 million cubic meters of earth getting excavated or whatever. It was easier solved with a computer than me scribbling on a piece of paper. Uh, and I got a good grade from that particular piece. So that's really interesting. So although you are a civil engineer by... Uh, qualification but you do have an understanding for for coding that is not a direct requirement for your role as the operations the head of operations no um, but I guess I learned along the way so with varying roles uh, and responsibilities threw myself in at the deep end a couple of times and I know people who've graduated uh, with say English degrees who've gone on to do um, development they've been given uh, graduate scheme where they got to do uh, sort of a three-month taster course working with a um, company and, and flourished and enjoyed it and they thought they were going to be a business analyst or a project manager they qualified with a master's of English but actually really enjoyed the problem solving and then the solution element um, and 
went on and still are, as far as I'm aware, as far as LinkedIn tells me, some of them are, are doing well in, in that area. So, or you can go to university and study for three years and come out with a computer engineering degree, but there are other ways to get into software development and there's testing roles that you don't, you know, I started off actually as a tester. I graduated in 2007, financial crunch, no job availability. I joined uh, Experian in Nottingham as a QA um, on, on quite an intense project for three months. So I didn't have anything past Christmas, but within that, I found some efficiencies within a process and got asked to do that. And then somebody picked that up and said, I hang on a minute, could you, would you be interested in doing this? And I'd be like, yeah, because I've got nothing after Christmas anyway. <laughs> so um, sort of started from there, really. Okay, so so currently you're in you're in this head of tech uh, technical operations role, but you say you've only been with the company for about seven months. Tell us about your career since leaving Experian up until the to yep. this point. Frankly, uh, that middle bit's quite interesting. So I, I got to a point with Ex- Experian where I'm probably life actually. Is- and uh, I just needed to do something different. So I took a bit of a heavy roll of the dice. So handed him a notice, I had a one month's notice. This was preempted. So I planned this for about three months, knowing that I had one month's notice. Um, and then I moved out to Berlin in early January, um, 2013. No job, no language. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds mental now. I can remember my boss going, are you sure? Uh, at the time. Moved to, moved to Berlin, eventually, Got a job, I think about five months later. I decided to take a bit of time off anyway, did a language course, started applying slowly for jobs. Money started to run out, so the applications for jobs went up a bit. Um, and then eventually got a job. And then it got to the point where I had to bring my parents uh, to lend me 100 euros to get me through to payday. And they obliged because I think they were worried that I might be ringing them up for a lot more than that if they knew I had a job. And Berlin was fantastic. It was great. Uh, you know, the reason for moving, I, I didn't have any responsibility, mortgage, kids, or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it was good. Startup city, full of IT, great ideas, great, enthusiastic, um, worked with some great people for two years. And startup risk is that the startup either goes boom or bust. And, and it was bust time. Um, so I had a productive conversation with the CEO and said, right, okay, fine. Company's not made it. We tried. Let's go for a beer. Um, and, and, you know, half the off- more than half the office got made redundant on that day. It was a really nice summer's day, actually, in Berlin. So we went for a drink by the river, which kind of made up for it. But that put me into a bit of a, a weird space, being unemployed. Um, my German wasn't tipped off at the time. So I freelanced for a bit. I was living on like 10 euros a week at one point to, to get through. I'd just taken a flat about three months before I got made redundant as well. But I actually went back to my old employer. They tried to do it different venture and um, so we went back um that was a bit hit and miss there were a few issues with um, getting paid on time as a contractor which wasn't fun hence living on 10 euros a week and started applying for jobs what type of work were you doing when you were freelancing yeah so i was project managing it's actually quite a successful beauty convention in germany now it's still running i only checked the website last night bizarrely so it's like an influencers beauty convention uh, as a project manager for the website and the social media development, uh, email marketing, stuff like that. Um, so it's 20 hours a week, maybe a bit more here or there. But when it started off, it was conventions in Frankfurt, Bochum, Berlin, uh, Hamburg, wherever else, um, with, I think, ticket sales of like 14,000, target group, 14-year-old screaming girls. The website was bright, poppy pink, uh, it was fantastic testing that website. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a challenge of something new. I had to do like all the tax stuff myself in German and German tax laws, actually the hardest, uh, I believe, in the world. Luckily, I 
didn't have too much difficulty to do. But anyway, yeah, then I searched for another more permanent job, got one with an agency that was starting out in Berlin. They were based in Paris and Brussels, the Taptic, and there for about nine months, I think, something like this. And the Berlin office didn't quite work out. There were a few things. Um, and then long story short, uh, I ended up in Hong Kong for eight months working for the customer. So my customer, the agency, was a French lady based out in Hong Kong. That was a complete road crash. It took a massive gamble and it was a road crash. You live and learn. Then it was back to the UK and a friend of mine was doing a startup in London. Um, so I joined them for six months to help them uh, learn a hell of a lot in that time. I think that was, that was like a pivotal moment for me. It was like, I've done startup, I've done agency, I've done freelancing. Um, what have I enjoyed the most? And it's like actually like being part of a business, part of a team, building a team, part of culture. Regular paycheck also helps. Yeah, being part of the business and watching that grow and having people with expertise around you to help the team and the products and the people and the sales revenue and everything else grow. The timing of the end of the London job was was really good for the World Cup. If I wanted to watch that for three a month. So um, <laughs> and um, and then I got a job at a company called Comify, which is ultimately where we ended up meeting Penny, right? Exactly. And another offer somewhere else. Um, However, a, a good friend of mine had previously worked for my central line manager and that swung it for me because the um, praise was high and was at Comify for nearly three years. Uh, really enjoyed it. The company was on a, on a huge growth path um, and change path. So I started off as an engineering project manager, so looking after the technology delivery teams um, and then took on like a, a data project that was probably more of a program, to be honest, but quite a large venture for the business, something quite new, um, something quite challenging. The company wanted to bring together a, a lot of the platform uh, information, um, the different products were reporting in different ways. So really to be able to see these, these different platforms reporting in the same way, comparing apples with apples was the, the adage that we had sort of thing. So massive as well, whilst also maintaining the, the engineering delivery role. And it was interesting, I uh, had a really good team around me um, and, and learned a hell of a lot along the way. Yeah, ultimately with uh, Dotmatics, um, and I knew uh, some people that were working there and had a couple of conversations and, and decided that it was time to try something different. Uh, the project at Dotmatics holistically was much bigger. The opportunity was was crazy. The, the teams, the, the product itself is, is so mind-blowing how complex it is. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And some, some of the project work that I do, I get to get into the detail of understanding how it all hangs together. And it's, it's phenomenal how how this technology integrates in, into the science world it's mind-boggling something that is great and the guys who work on it the, the principal scientists are just really helpful really knowledgeable you know they've got phds and things i've not even heard of but they absolutely know and they have to obviously love what they do and they are so personally approachable that was really enticing and uh, working with some familiar faces as well and also a new challenge um it was a new role that encompassed this interest in data but meant that I also had the delivery element and the delivery um, assurance. So that's, I guess that's full circle, right? Mm, it's really, really yeah. interesting. What an interesting career pathway. So from your degree, which I want to find out a bit more about, to Experian, to Berlin, Hong Kong, it's incredible back here to the, to the UK and doing something at a really senior level that's pretty technical and uh, you're loving it. So let's rewind back to when you were at school. What A-levels did you choose to take if you did take A-levels? And yeah. how did that guide your decision-making towards your, your degree choice? 
Uh, I took maths, which I remember, maths, business studies, accounting and computing. I probably didn't apply myself the best I could have done at college, let's say. But I got, I got grades good enough to go to university, which is ultimately the next stepping stone. I guess the accountancy, as I've always been relatively good with in, in around numbers, um, the business side of things, as I was kind of interested in how businesses evolved, I was always interested in what my parents were kind of like trying to do, but they were quite protective of opening up too much to me as, as well at times. Computing, just interested in it. I dabbled a little bit with, with school, uh, maths, was good at it, but ultimately I didn't. I, I never really enjoyed maths, and uh, I think I actually got a U uh, in maths. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I think this was. I think we were the first year of the A two, so you could you did your first year and then you could drop one or whatever if you wanted to. So yeah, I dropped maths. Yeah, and then I think ultimately I was I was like a bit uh, rudderless, um, and my parents identified that. And I got a good opportunity actually to work in between my A-levels uh, for a civil engineering company based in Exeter. So I did three months as what they call a chain boy, which is basically like a lackey for a civil engineer. So you're going around just holding a pole and someone measures it and shouts numbers out, you know, for and about. It was more than that. They knew you know, I was supposed to get involved and, you know, was, was this something I'd be interested in? So I got quite got a lot of exposure in that respect and did some quite cool things and quite enjoyed it. The problem is to do pure civil engineering, you need good maths, and I've just got a U on my maths. So this is a bit of an odd one, actually. This next segue to how I actually got to university. So I finished my A-levels, um, I was working at McDonald's, uh, was going to take a gap year, but didn't know when I was going to go. I had a phone call from Nottingham Trent one day and saying, we've seen you've got a um, business studies application uh, in clearing, um, and we see that you've got you've done some work in civil engineering. Would you be interested in this course? And I was like, I have absolutely no idea. Can you send me a bunch of information? Information arrived, and I read through it, and I think my parents gave me literally zero choice but to go, um, because they weren't convinced my gap year was going to be successful. But I, I was interested enough. I, I, the, the push wasn't necessarily that hard. And incidentally, my parents had planned to be away that weekend, so I travelled up to Nottingham. I'd never been to Nottingham in my life before, uh, and I travelled up with a rucksack to go to university. Uh, and when I arrived, my flatmates were all there with their parents, sort of sobbing in the car, waving goodbye. Um, and then we all went to Wetherspoons and had a good time. Uh, but that, that was the start, really. I, otherwise, I don't know what would have happened after that. I don't know, you know, if I got that fabled five stars at McDonald's or... Um, <laughs> whether I'd have gone travelling around Thailand on the gap yard uh, or, you know, <laughs> built a school in Bhutan. I don't know. But ultimately, I ended up doing Precious Fortnight in Nottingham, uh, going to the works, which was... I was a boy from Somerset going to Nottingham on the works side, so it was... It was big lights! <laughs> <laughs> City! <laughs> so that's really interesting then. So... You did your, your A-levels based on, on what you were interested in um, and what you maybe thought you should do, hence the maths. And then you didn't know what you were going to do and you, you, you did, you, took, uh, you decided to go into civil engineering. As part of that course, what aspirations did you have at the time for your future career? Um, quite honestly, not, not a lot. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Um, I, was still, I was still very much rudderless. I enjoyed what I was learning at university. There was like I remember a cool project that I did in the first year, which was about uh, sustainability in construction. I did like Wembley Stadium, football fan. I run a football enthusiast web website with a friend of mine called Pete, uh, called the92.net. So I love football. Like, so yeah, let's do Wembley Stadium because that was being built at the time. There was some really interesting stuff like concrete is really interesting as a material. 
bizarrely, like spot geek, but still wasn't convinced. Probably suffered from anxiety, even though it probably wasn't called anxiety that well back then. Um, quite an introvert, actually, um, which I'm definitely not now. So yeah, it was it was a period of discovery. I, I think going to university helped me figure out that I needed to do something with my life because I was surrounded by other quite aspirationally driven people, some less so as well, some, you know, people who were also there in a similar position to me and we found a common path of sitting down and talking about, you know, football manager or um, going for a pint or whatever it might be. But I didn't know. And I did my, like, sandwich year placement year. I did enjoy it, but the company I worked for was very staunch, very old school construction. So fax machines were thrown across the office on evening. It was very old school in that respect, you know, proper old Irish man smoking out the window. Um, you know, can't smoke anywhere now these days. He was smoking in his cabin all the time. Fax machines went flying. So, oh, I need to send this fax. No, I can't. Fax machines breaking. You have to go three cabins down. We've got an agreement with Costing or whoever to send a fax. Getting shouted at, like literally hairdryer treatment because I've got something wrong. 20 year old me like it, it gave me a taste of things and I knew maybe what was right and wrong and what I enjoyed and what I didn't enjoy maybe but yeah and you know I got to live in a different city I lived in Sheffield for example for years that element of it the discovery the the challenge of doing something and living somewhere different um you know went to you know no one held my hand going to Sheffield or Nottingham so but again like even when I left uni I didn't know and um I felt I was working at a bar and then there was a not a very savoury end to me working at a bar, but that forced me to get a job and that was experience. So that that was good. And I was living in a house full of other people who had just graduated and had cash. And it's like party do things. Yeah, party, but like do things. And you know, I think it was eight of us in a house, eight boys in a house, goldfish in a bath. Um, so <laughs> sounds wild. <laughs> so yeah, it got wilder than goldfish in a bath, but yeah. <laughs> So, so now you are where you are in your career, which is obviously in a senior and successful position. Are there any regrets when you look back to not going down the road of civil engineering? Um, yeah, I look at some projects that some of my fellow uh, students have gone to work that, that look really interesting. There is an element of that that I do still enjoy keeping uh, a loose eye on what's going on in the civil engineering world. So I've still got friends, you know, as I say, work on projects like one of my friends is working on hs2 in fact my partner becky works on foundations for the shard so yeah there's there's a load of cool interesting projects i worked on the transformation of Doncaster airport i also worked on a business park in north shields where the port cabin and uh, electrical transformation unit got set on fire um that was a fun monday morning what we're we doing today well we're sorting out the fire so but no there, there are but also I, I enjoy what i do and i think it's a different set of things that I think I'm probably more suited to. I don't know where I would have gone with this financial, the sort of contracts manager, quantity surveyor. I think I'd have probably done all right with it all. But I think at the time, maybe a bit of a structured uh, office focus, working in IT, maybe that's where I was destined to go maybe, but just didn't take it at the time. Like, I think I tried to have a conversation with my mum about like going to study computer game design. And she was like, you're not a designer. Like, you're not very creative, <laughs> Michael. Okay. But I like video games. Yeah, a lot of people do. So don't do that. But yeah, I think realistically, it, it was difficult because the careers advice with IT was difficult. Even though I studied computing, and um, the careers advice wasn't robust, I think, in that area. So you're just talking about, you know, loving computer games and, and wanting to, to be a, a, a computer game designer. 
I'm sure so many young kids these days think the same thing. So mm-hmm. what advice would you give to a young person who is having to make decisions and choices about their career, either going into A-levels or going into university? What advice would you give them knowing what you know now? Okay, I think I'd categorise it in two distinct areas. I think there's a, and I'm not a very black and white person generally in life, but I like to live in grey area and be able to transition through it. I think there's people who have quite clear focus on where they want to go. Like one of my friends from university, he studied an HMD in civil engineering. He did surveying, he did like all of this stuff. He's now the, he's the guy working on HS2. So he really knew what he wanted to do and he knew where, where he was going. And there's, there's a lot of other examples of that. So somebody I knew from 14 wanted to be a, a finance director. He's now the finance director at 35. So there are people, if you know what you really want to do, go do it. There's other people who really don't know and need to sort of explore. So I've got a really good friend of mine, um, successful guy, runs a mortgage business, really successful mortgage business in East Midlands, done extremely well, phenomenal. He did sports science, right? Did sports science, travelled around the world for it. I think he did sports science and then worked at, was it Lloyd's or something like that? And then went travelling around the world for a year and then came back and started up a business in eight, nine years in the making now. But so I think ultimately, if you if you have an idea of what you want to do, try and go and do it. If you're not sure, try and do something that you enjoy anyway. Like even if it's maybe not going to lead, you know, I can remember I was interested in geography and I was like, maybe I'll do geography. I was like, what, what are you going to do with a geography A level? Like, become a geography teacher? I was like, I don't know, but I enjoy it. So I, I think if you enjoy that, go and do it and find out what you like. I think the minute you start to lose motivation, so with my maths, for example, I got the U right. I wasn't on a U level from the beginning, but I just didn't enjoy it. And I persevered and just persevered. You are good at maths. I was like, yeah, I don't enjoy it. So when you lose that motivation, you, you start to lose the battle. And I think that's why generally at college, I didn't enjoy the experience because you, you, I was being sort of coerced into doing these things because it was the tick box experience. Ultimately, it led to the right thing. But I think I should have, done the things that I wanted to do. I think I would have probably done geography over maths. If I'm completely honest, that would have been my preferred choice, but oh, you're really good at maths. I didn't study for my GCSEs and I got an A, right? So wow. I'm good at I'm good at maths, like, but not to brag, but so but I knew I, I enjoyed geography. I enjoyed that and um, the human geography side of it. I enjoyed like geology, you know, rock bending, amazing. So I think try and find things that you enjoy. Speak to different people, like look at different things you like. So you might have a small interest in like aeroplanes, for example. The actual construction of an aircraft is insanely difficult. And then there are so many skills required to build an aircraft. So there's like the engines, there's the tires, there's the hydraulics, there's the electrics. There's, maybe if you've got a small interest in that, maybe look at what you really like about an aeroplane. You know, what, what it sounds geeky, but why not do that and try and find if there's a niche interest? It's the key bit, really. That's fantastic advice. I really like that because I think saying to a young person, do what you really enjoy, their experience is limited to the subjects they have at school, which is great. But then it's like, what's next? And then I think that advice you've, that that example you've just given around the airplane is, is, is brilliant because actually these are all little clues of things that you enjoy that can take you to the industry or to a, to a, a qualification or a set of skills that will help you uh, into maybe a career or a job that um, that you enjoy and that you can really progress into a career. So I think that's that's awesome. So finally, then, what's next for you? What are your plans for your future career? I thought this question would come, uh, and I don't know how to respond to it really. I don't know. Uh, I've 
I've recently progressed into the, into the role of technology operations um, at, at a company that's, that's going places. I, I don't know fully. I've got two kids who take up a lot of my time. I've got this football passion that takes up a lot of my time. I've got a house that needs renovating that takes up my time. So eventually one of those things will drop off and maybe I'll have more time to focus on, on that. But I think at the moment um, I've got a lot of effort to give into the current role. I think longer term, I would my, my sort of aspiration, and I don't know when, I guess, is um, I'd like to try and hit COO, um, Chief Operations Officer. It's that operation process data engagement piece that really I enjoy. It just so happens that I did that from a technology standpoint. And the one thing that I see, lucky to have quite a varied career, the one thing I do see in, um, in businesses is there's a lack, lack of leaders who have come from a technology background. They generally become CTO. But I think there's a real opportunity for the majority of businesses now, the majority not all, rely on software and technology to help drive their processes, whether it's a manufacturing plant to rely on the software that drives the plant to, you know, mold cut, whatever it might be for the next thing. So to have a technology background to understand what that implication is around the operation, you know, all the finance data is driven off financial software, be it SAC or NetSpeed or whatever. All of the HR software is run through, I just said it's software, so technology. So understanding how those processes work and being able to negotiate with suppliers, you know, when things aren't going well or even when things are going well, what you're expecting, I think is, is something that I think I'll be able to take. Plus my determination on efficiency, um, inefficiency drives me insane. So yeah, I think, I think that's an aspiration how, when um, I get there, I, I'm not 100% sure. I think one thing I learned in the last year I probably at some point took on quite a lot. I ran two marathons for charity. I was attempting to learn to fly. I was playing football. I was just changed jobs, had all of that. Kids were kids and, you know, and uh, house renovation and whatever else. And it was like, hang on a minute. I just need to layer down some stuff here. The marathon stuff I have to do now because I've raised quite a chunk of money. Um, but um, so the, the flying sacrificed, uh, I'll pick that up at some point maybe. Um, the football, I took down a step here or there and um, just found a bit more balance. So it's important to find that as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is really, really exciting. And I have absolutely no doubt that you will achieve your aspiration. Uh, so thank you. Very, very best of luck. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Penny. Thanks for listening to another career story from the field. If you enjoyed this conversation, please follow or subscribe. Thanks for listening.